Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Lachelle Adkins, who refers to herself as America's super mom, which after listening to her story, you'll know exactly why. Lachelle is a mom of 15 children, coach, podcaster, and we'll talk about her 13-year battle with depression. We have so much to talk about here, Lachelle. Let's just jump right into this and welcome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Summer. I'm so excited to be here. I'm on a mission of mental wellness, so I love having a platform to be able to share and empower the lives of women, so glad to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you, so let's get right into this. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. your background, being an only child, then having 15 children, so let's talk about your background to start with. Absolutely, so um, as you said, I was the only child, and I was raised with the mindset of education is key to everything. So I was uh, a high achiever, gifted classes and things of that nature, always kind of seeking that validation or that outward proof that I was doing well. And so as I had a family, I thought, well, you know, those principles of working hard, having a good work ethic, I thought I could just transfer those over to being a parent and dealing with the... um, I guess the complexities of having a family, that would be my formula to success. And it just kind of led me on this downward spiral with depression because, you know, it was there that I found out there's so many variables that I couldn't control. And I just had the mindset of thinking that I could. And so needless to say, that struggle led to three hospitalizations during that period of uh, 13 years. And after my last hospitalization, I went on a personal journey of discovery and created my own strategy to overcome depression. And that's really the basis that I use to coach women in groups and organizations or whoever to help them overcome limiting beliefs, transform their mindset, just based on my own story and what I experienced. So that's a little bit about my background. Well, okay. You kind of fit it all in, in just a matter of a couple of minutes, but we're going to get a little deeper here. So let's talk about that first child going on to the 15th child and how you Mm -hmm. juggled all these humans and how did you find support during this process? Yeah. So, you know, as I said, I was a high achiever. So as we had one, we had this mindset that, hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Not knowing if something was broken. So we just had one and kept going. And, you know, we really uh, were strong advocates for raising our kids with godly values. So their foundation consists of them being in a private school and getting that time to have that spiritual growth along with academics, smaller classrooms, and a lot of the values that really mirrored what we believed at home. And so I think that really was the basis of a lot of growth and transition in a positive manner prior to depression, because it was like I had a support system outside of the home that, you know, helped me to raise the kids because my husband was 
the only breadwinner. And so he worked retail. And so he also was in the military. So him always being gone and me being the one at home with the children, that was the main source of support was making sure somebody else had the same values. I, me being the only child, we didn't have family uh, that was really close by that we could look to support with. A lot of our family extended to church family and people that would occasionally help us with different things. You know, when we had a new baby, they would bring food by and different things like that. But we were very hands-on as parents. We never really gave that responsibility to others. You know, if you if I had to go to the grocery store, you would see me with a line of children right behind me. I never really had that day-to-day support. So it was just like another one comes, you just kind of deal with it. You know, you just make room for one more at the table, so to speak. And so there just came to a point where we started making different decisions where that um, formula just no longer served us. And I just really didn't uh, have the lens to look through to recognize, you know what, something's not right here. You know, it was just like that robotic doing what you've always been done, staying in that comfort zone type thing. Right. But yet you didn't realize that this wasn't necessarily comfortable. This was becoming uncomfortable. You maybe at the time didn't realize that you had support systems, but the support systems also, when you have these children coming home from school, getting sick, needing to go grocery shopping or needing, if you had pets, you had a pet sick and then who kept the children and who took the the dog or cat to the vet and on and on and on. So how did you, when you needed a mental break, a physical break, how did you yourself get that? Yeah. And I, I mean, looking back now, you know, it's like a totally different world. Uh, I see things totally different because I was really in that robotic task oriented, um, you know, checking things off the boxes. So certain markers were there that I felt I was being successful in. And so I really didn't dig beneath the surface to really recognize that there was a lot of problems. Even now, you know, going back when I had those periods of being hospitalized, I didn't seek that hospitalization. You know, my husband sought intervention for me. So now I'm very passionate about sharing with other women certain things that they could do to look for, to recognize, you know, we can't give our power away, even with our own mental wellness. And that was something that I just had this mindset of, you know what, somebody's got to do it. Why not me? And I just would tackle more and more and more. And so that was really the mindset that I had. But, you know, survival mode is just that it's for a temporary time. It's not for you to thrive, you know. So for the amount of years that I had that mindset, it was really, I am just feel blessed to be able to be on the other side and share some tips and strategies to other women. Because, you know, that's just not uh, built to be a life that you can sustain long term. You know, Lachelle, I really like how you put that, that survival mode isn't something that is sustainable. It's something that is for a short period of time, yet you were living that survival mode 
continuously. It wasn't mm -hmm. ending. So the, you were mm -hmm. in the struggle of survival, so to speak. So you were mm -hmm. in this unique situation. You were in it. So you couldn't necessarily see beyond it. What would you Without tell? Her. What would you tell people today or how would you guide them? And we're going to get into your system of coaching later, but while mm -hmm. you were in it or if somebody's in it, what would you say to them in relation to recognizing what's going on with them or being right. in that survival mode? Well, the first thing is if someone was to come to me and say, you know what, what are your dreams and aspirations? this month i couldn't even have given them an answer because my life was so outward looking it was making sure the kids were okay does my husband have what he needs my husband's also a pastor so what are we supposed to do at church are we going to feed the people at church this month everything was so task oriented surrounding giving back to others i didn't even recognize myself what my agenda was my agenda was everybody else's agenda. So the first sign is if you don't have your own agenda, that's a problem. Because you have to be able to, as they say on the airplane, put your own oxygen mask on first, then you can help other people. So my mindset, even believing that I was giving and I was loving and I was doing all these things, it may not have even been received that way because I really didn't have anything to give. I was just in survival mode. So that would be the first thing would be to recognize, you know, what are your goals and aspirations, maybe for this week, for this month, if you don't have any, if you don't even know how to answer the question, that's a sign that you're in trouble. Well, I love that tip because mm -hmm. a lot of people are in this mode of survival, of looking outward, as you said, mm -hmm. and they might not even recognize that this is happening, number one. Number two, mm -hmm. somebody might bring it to their attention and they might become defensive about it. So mm -hmm. how do you approach people when you might see something like this happening where they might actually consume the information in a way or digest the information? The best thing is to uh, ask questions. See, this is the thing a lot of times, you know, for me, I had racing thoughts. I was always task oriented, uh, didn't get a lot of sleep. And so the things that I am always looking for are high energy things, which was crazy because I wasn't getting that fuel a lot of times for what I needed from day to day. But you know, seeking that validation from other people. So it's like somebody calls and they need something from the church. And then it's like, I'm running over there because my validation was, oh, aren't you sweet? I can't believe you're doing it with all these kids or whatever, you know, a temporary fix, right? It's right. like an addiction. Right. So the first thing for somebody else on the outside would be to ask questions. Like, you, like I said, you know, what are your dreams? How do you do it? What's your daily routine? Just simple things for people to start examining with them themselves and say, you know, I really don't have an answer to that. Because for me, I was dotting every I, crossing every T, but it was not, you know, the whole thing about people saying, are you being busy or productive? 
right? So I was finding that in some areas, I was busy, right? Right. And how productive was I really being? So I think that's really the mindset of really asking people just simple things. What time do you go to bed? What time do you get up? Just things that seem casual and normal. Because uh, that awareness for the person who's experienced it is not there. Those are things that they're not even, uh, it's not even on their radar. And so that will begin to trigger in them thoughts about, man, you know, I'm not getting a lot of sleep or I'm not doing this, you know, to start the journey to uh, recognize in ways that they can enhance their daily routine and do things a lot better. Well, I love all of those tips. And Mm -hmm. it's so important to ask the questions so that maybe rather than having someone become defensive, they actually Mm -hmm. start looking at themselves and their patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. So love all those questions. Now let's roll into those years of depression. Let's roll into somebody taking that choice of, this is what's happening to you. This is what's going on. This is what you're in right now. And taking that choice away from you and saying, we think you need to be in a hospital. How did that feel that somebody directed you in that manner mm-hmm. towards that end or beginning rather? And then also, what did it look like going through that process of realization that this is happening, that this is going on in my life, that maybe things are kind of spiraling out of control, as you said, and as you recognize already, you're using some of the key terms. When somebody goes into a hospital or is assessed by a clinician, we ask, what are your sleeping patterns like? How are you eating? Looking at your speech, if it's pressured, looking at your behavior, seeing if what you're doing in relation to everyday tasks, how you're transitioning, what your thoughts are like. So you already recognize you are having racing thoughts. So we ask those questions. You are firmly aware of the the questions. So how did this feel? How did this process feel going through it? Because being a clinician and having to be on the other end of the table, asking these questions of others, seeing their patterns of behavior, seeing how they might've transitioned through changes, deciding whether or not I'm going to take away somebody's rights and hospitalize them, or they're going to willingly admit themselves in. Those are important things that I take very seriously. But how did you feel going through that process? Yeah, you know, each of the times, the first time I was in the hospital when I was transported. Okay. I think the second time, no, the first time I was at home and I was transported, the second time I was at a hospital and transported, the third time I went directly to a facility. And I think for me, it was like a period of denial. Having a strong education background, to me, I felt like I can answer all the questions the way that they I can formulate the answers the way they should be formulated right to where people are like I don't know sir she's saying stuff and it's not lining up with what you're saying I knew how to kind of play that game right I so a lot of my 
anger, maybe hostility or resentment was towards my husband because I just really felt like, you know, I am fine. What really is the big deal? Okay, maybe I need to get a few hours of sleep, but when is that possible? You know, you're working. It was just like a logic thing. Logically, I had not divorced myself from the fact that there still is a limit to what you can do. Right. right. I just hadn't got that. And so I just felt like, okay, if you're not willing to be here and I don't have any help, who else is going to do it? So it was just so matter of fact, like logic. So I think in each of those cases, and then I remember distinctly the last time that I was in the hospital, I knew every patient there. I was checking on them like I was the doctor. So <laughs> I don't know what I had told myself, but this is crazy. They'd be like, oh, here she comes. And I'm like, well, how are you today, Sally? I mean, I knew everybody's name. I would greet them all. They're looking like, what is going on with this woman? Because I really felt I wasn't a patient. I thought, I don't know. This is just, I, I don't know what I had created in my mind. But, but it'd be interesting to go back and see if I could see some of those people, what they were thinking. Um, well, but, let's cut in here for a minute because from the outside okay. and from the clinician's type <laughs> perspective, you see the same patterns of behavior. You're taking care of people. Mm -hmm. You're asking mm -hmm. how they're doing. You're assessing them. You're a high functioning person, which means that you're going to think a lot about yourself, the process, what you're going to tell them as they're potentially assessing you, how that clinician on the other side of the table is assessing you. You're high functioning. You catch on very quickly to what's happening. Mm -hmm. You have kids to raise. So that translates over to, I'm going to help others, which again, you're taking on the same role in the hospital. Here you yeah. are doing the same things. It's the same patterns of behavior when in actuality, you're there to get support. To get help. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. Yeah. So that is one thing that really, that's the first time I ever really remember that because the first and second time, I don't really recall that. I recall being very um, sheltered. The second time I was getting that support and kind of coming out, building trust with people, maybe open to like, maybe there's something I need to learn. The first time I was very introverted. You know, I just was a very observant, not understanding. Um, but the last time, yeah, it was like, I'm the doctor and they're the patient. Okay. I just remember that because I made a point to talk to everybody. I would even, you know, hey, they're not up yet. Where are they? You know, I knew everybody's patterns, behavior, everything. So it was really interesting. Um, yeah. But I think it's just the whole thing of recognizing that, you know, there's limits to what you can do. And that is really the main thing that I got out of this last hospitalization is that. I'm not an island, no matter how passionate I am about things, you can't do it alone. So I have a Christian background and I just, one day I was praying and God just revealed to me that, hey, you know, Jesus, you believe saved the world and he had 12 disciples. So what makes you think you can do it by yourself? 
So that really hit home for me. You know, it's like, wow, you're right. I'm definitely thing. not Jesus. Okay. <laughs> so if he, if he did what he did and had 12 people, what is wrong with me thinking I can do it on myself? You right. know, so that's really what uh, changed it for me. Mm-hmm. And that's really insightful because mm-hmm. many times we forget to ask for help. We Mm -hmm. forget that we aren't an island. We forget that we can't do it alone, that we need our folks around us, our support systems, our networks to pitch in, to lend a hand. Mm -hmm. Here you are running around. You've got 15 kids. You're running around, still delivering food, still helping folks at your church. And yet you're forgetting that you need help. And yet finally something clicked. And I love that analogy of Jesus had those 12 disciples. Why am I not asking? (laughs) What makes me think that I can do this alone? I like that. But I think it, yeah, I think it was the whole thing too, where growing up, everything was me independently working. You know, I work for the grades that I got or the awards that I received. And so there was not that transfer of thinking that, you know what, it's not a weakness to ask for help. See, I mean, I was so busy being pushed that, hey, you got the highest grade or you got the reward for this. And so that really was seen to me, not having the answers or not knowing what to do next was a weakness. So to even embrace that would have been, Uh, hard to do because, you know, and then you don't know what you don't know, right? So as an only child, how am I supposed to know what help I need? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Because you are, you're functioning in a different construct each time. So you were an Mm -hmm. only child. And so that lent to watching what your parents modeled and they were juggling Mm -hmm. one child. So then we get into mm-hmm. marriage and that's a different system, a different construct, right? Mm-hmm. So now you're in this new relationship of sorts. Then you start having kids. One, two, five, 10, mm-hmm. 15. You're building your own city. You're building your own city. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the step parent. So that's another thing. Oh, wow. So- Yeah, I was accepting her for two of the children. Yeah. Okay. So So you're also, you're also taking on, you know, a mixed family, so to speak, Mm -hmm. or having 13 kids. Now let's go, let's go and cover this because this is really important. (laughs) I feel like I'm, I'm not being holistic here if I didn't get into this, but your body is taking Mm -hmm taking, you know, a toll, it's taking a toll on your body. Every time you have a child, you've Mm -hmm. had 13 of your own biological children. Mm -hmm. How did your body withstand that? And also was there postpartum depression? Yeah, I believe one of the um, depressions during that time was postpartum, which I think is commendable for that many children. Uh, Really was not aware of what postpartum was until I experienced myself and my daughter at that time was like six months old, right? And um, after that, I was very passionate to work in the hospitals and help new moms 
to understand what it was. Because for me, I'm thinking that's something that happens in the first couple of weeks or a couple months. But for her to be six months, that was pretty impactful. Um, the blessing was all my kids, well, 11 of them were born natural, no pain medicine or anything. Nice. Uh, and then the last two, I had to have a C-section because I was uh, over 40. I think um, the recovery with the last ones were a lot more intense, uh, being older and not really, um, what's the word? You know, it was just uh, unchartered territory, you know, having surgery as opposed to the recovery being different, you know, not being able to drive and certain things that kind of helped me move forward um, was a bit of a transition. You know, so that really uh, was very hard for me uh, because the, I was just used to like after a couple of weeks, I'm fine. I can do certain things and be more mobile, but to be, you know, in the bed recovering and all this kind of stuff, that was just more of a challenge. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things I've always been the type of person that uh, I look at the glasses half full instead of empty. So it's like, you know, what resources do I have? How am I going to move forward? You know, can't, it's just not in my vocabulary. So it's like, you know, we just got to do it. So we got to figure out how we're going to make this work. You know, how are we going to feed these kids today? This is what we got in the refrigerator. So what are we going to make? You know, it's just, you just have that attitude that, you know, we just, it just has to be done. There is no excuse not to get it done. So I think a lot of that mindset kind of helped me not fall into that, oh, woe is me when it comes to raising kids. And then I had very high standards uh, for education because it was like, look, if I can do it, they can do it. You know, there's just no excuse. Right. So that's just kind of how it was. Um, so that's really what made, made me have the stamina to keep doing it was because I had those set of goals and ideals and knew what I was working towards. And so that just kind of made me just uh, able to persevere and not give up on what I, what it was that I was working towards. Well, and that's great to hear because a lot of times people who start depressing forget their own purpose, forget to mm -hmm. look inward or they're all looking outward towards what does this world have for me? What is, you know, how am I functioning in this world? Nobody connects with me. Nobody understands when in actuality you had insight and you were looking inward at this point and you were utilizing some of those skills that you came into the marriage with being mm -hmm. a high functioning person coming into this and, and utilizing those and saying, I can do this because you've always done it so some of those mm -hmm. skills works to your benefit and mm -hmm. then you were able to develop new skills so let's talk a little bit about that so as you went through that third hospitalization when was that at what point was 2016 2016 okay so that was mm -hmm. 2016 so that was some years ago so after that third hospitalization what then how did you start healing? You mentioned the kind of epiphany of, you know, the 12 disciples, but really what actions mm -hmm. were you taking to change the construct that you lived in, how you raised those kids, how you asked for support? How did that change? 
What was that transition and how did that change for you? Right. It started with the asking of the hard questions to myself. So I had had three hospitalizations. And the first thing was the fear that I didn't want to go back to the hospital again, because literally I believed I was fine in each of those scenarios, you know? So looking back, I can reflect and kind of see my uh, behavior in each of the uh, hospitals and everything. But prior to those happening, I really believed I was fine. So to me, that was the problem that I wasn't really aware of it. The second thing was I felt disempowered. I felt like there could be a fourth hospitalization. What would I do? I mean, you know, I just didn't want to live that life of fear. You know, before it was just like, okay, there was reasons like, okay, maybe I wasn't getting enough sleep, but it's like, this is different than not getting enough sleep. I'm being away from my family and children in a hospital. So I think it was just that awareness of asking those hard questions was the first thing and refusing to give my power away. I've had a lot of resentment for my husband. Uh, and bitterness because it was like, you took me to this hospital. You know, you did this to me, right? And I just felt like there were, I didn't agree with his decision, you know, uh, looking back at the time. I mean, to me, it's a blessing now, but going through it, I didn't think so. So I felt like, you know what? I don't want him to have the power to do that again. So what am I going to have to do to change that? So it was just that looking in the mirror at myself and getting rid of this little fantasy mindset or whatever it was I was having before and really taking some accountability and saying, hey, I need to figure out who am I? Because I had definitely not had lost myself, didn't know who I was, right? right. I was more task oriented rather than understanding really what my purpose was. And so I had created a formula in how things were run in our household, but it was like there was no life to it. It was just, this is how we've always done it. This is what works. So you add another child to that and you don't look deeper and say, is this working? So I was on an interview a couple of weeks ago and it's like, if you are recognizing that your family is growing, you're not going to keep driving around in a two-seater car if you know you need a van, <laughs> right, right? Right, right. So some of these things, I'm just riding around with a two-seater car with these kids on the, on the windshield. And people are probably like, what is going on with her? But like I said, I was uh, able to really hide a lot of these things you know, being educated, having a certain background, being able to talk a certain way with people. And now even looking back and reflecting, people's standards were not that high for me. Not because they didn't think I was educated or anything, but they gave me a lot of grace. But I had higher standards. So people would be like, oh, uh, I remember I had a um, parent-teacher conference for one of my kids, the beginning of last year. And so she said, wow, 15 kids, are you like this one parent I had where 
different people's homeworks would get switched up based on the kid or something. And I'm like, that would never happen to me. This is what I was thinking, right? right. Because I've raised my kids to be independent and they have their work being tied up to who they are. But this is the kind of, you know, she's allowing me the ability to not even have my kids homework done. It's like, what? She's got 15 kids. That's a lot. You know, hey, right. we'll give her a pass any day of the week. But I'm the one that's having these unrealistic standards because these things could happen. Don't get me wrong. Right. But those are minimized with our children because we empower them to be responsible for their own work. You know, we're not having that night before, oh, mom, I have a science project. Mm -mm. As soon as they get their projects, they let us know we get the supplies. So all the things on the outside looking like the well-oiled machine is running well, those things were always taken care of. And so those were the checks and balances that I did every day and not really doing the real work beneath the surface if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does make sense because again, we go back to you being a high achiever, you possessing mm -hmm. this mindset plus the action that you've put to it all these years. So you had a certain protocol for yourself. Mm -hmm. You had certain expectations for yourself. But I like what you said, Michelle, earlier on about you finally realized that you didn't want to give your power away during this process. You didn't want to give your power away. So you needed to shift some things internally with yourself in relation to how you looked at things because you had this resentment and then you began to think about it because you are high level thinker and you thought, no, I don't want to give my power away. And I think sometimes people forget that they have this power. They have power mm -hmm. over themselves. Why give that power away? you're going to be in a difficult situation, work out some things to not give that power away. Or if your action leads to A, B, and C, you may be giving your power away versus retaining that power. So that's really important to think about because to retain that power is so important. However, it's also important to know when to ask for help, know when to ask for guidance. Think of a different way of transitioning through change, coping mechanisms, right? So, mm -hmm. because when situations start to change, such as the growth of a family, how you're juggling things, how you've always been there to support people, yet also needing the help, how does that change for you? How do you function through that? How do you cope with that? Those are things that you start to think about either throughout mm -hmm. that whole process of the several hospitalizations or after that third one. And so here you are in a different place today and you have your own coaching system, so to speak, mm -hmm. that you've mm -hmm. built. Talk about that. Talk about Fresh Start. Let's hear about that. Yeah. So these were really the five pillars that I think were pivotal with me overcoming the um, depression. And one of the things that I really like about this strategy, philosophy that I would say is that it takes into account the individual. You know, it is just core principles that are not my reality, but it takes on the life of the person that uses it. And so for me, I think that's so important because 
so many times we try to get this get quick rich routine or thinking that we can do a cookie cutter version of this type of coaching and you can get this transformation. It just doesn't work like that. Right. Because everybody's story is different. Uh, I think this is really the main thing is to recognize that you have to do what's best for you. So it is an acronym. So the first one is using fear as fuel. So in this case, my fear was being hospitalized a fourth time. And so instead of saying, oh no, when is that day going to happen? I said, let me begin to dissect one of the things that, the issues that led up to these hospitalizations. You know, let me stop blaming people and think that, you know what, I'm the common denominator. And at some point I was blaming my kids and not all my kids were even born at certain hospitalizations. You see what I'm saying? So that definitely couldn't work. (laughs) So I was the only common one. So once I realized that, I began to ask the deeper questions, you know, well, what were the patterns that led up to this? What are you doing every day? What is your schedule looking like? So different questions I would ask myself. Instead of being afraid, I use those things that I might have been afraid of to begin to create strategies or support things around me to prevent that being a pitfall, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Uh, But it was all led through fear. Now, and then the next letter is R, and that's reframing your past. So in my case, you know, like I said, when you asked for help, I kept thinking it was a weakness. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I want to be really impactful to moms who have a lot of kids or whatever, but I don't want to talk about that depression. That was a dark time, right? Right. And uh, I just got to the point where it just wasn't serving me to have that mindset, you know, to being a victim, to have that at all. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to embrace this and reframe this in a way that serves me and allows me to move forward. So this is where the story begins to give me the pattern and the foundation to start building something new with the lessons that I learned from the past, instead of just pretending that it never happened. Because I find that a lot of times people have this aha, so to speak. And so from that point, they live a double life. It's like you have a life before and a life after. You don't want the two to collide. So for me, I was having a struggle with that. So I thought, you know what? I'm just one person. I can't go back and change history. It already happened. So how can I tell this story in a way that empowers me and allows me to move forward with the strength and energy? The next one is E, and that's envisioning your success or accomplishment. So the reality was my dysfunction, so to speak, from my experiences was what I was living and I had to envision something else. So I got very active with vision boards, uh, visual cues, things around that remind me of the road that I wanted to be on and where I was going. So I would take photocopies of these vision boards and use them as screensavers, whatever it was, so that I could be reminded of what I was working towards, even though my reality currently didn't reflect that, right? Right. Um, Because there still was a lot of pain, you know, going on, uh, coming back. 
The next letter is S and that's the support group or tribe. Mm -hmm. This was key because this gave me the ability to flourish and not try to change my family from which I didn't have the power to do. So a lot of times when people change, it's like, hey, you know, just like if I said, you know what, I want to lose weight. I'm going to start eating differently. Nobody else has that epiphany, but I'm trying to change the whole household to go on this diet. And I'm not even strong enough to go on the diet, right? right. You know, because we all get started and then nobody is strengthened to do anything. And then we all fall, right? right? So been there, done that. Right. So I created a support group of people who saw me where I was and my potential and, you know, agreed with my vision of where I was going. And so that allowed me to thrive and continue to evolve and give my family the space to come along whenever they got ready. You know, instead of just being that nag, hey, we got to do this and we got to do that because they still saw me the same way. Sure. And then the last letter is H and that's healing. So recognizing that it's a slow process. So I tell people, you know, if you go to a doctor, some people may be in a wheelchair, some people might be wearing crutches, some might wear a brace, So, but they all need healing. So I don't know if some of my kids are in a wheelchair or some of them are wearing crutches or some of them are just limping whatever. Yes. So it's, I have to give them the space to be able to heal based on whatever it is that they're uh, dealing with. So that's the fresh start. I love it. Oh my goodness. That is so fantastic. I love the first one, the F, you know, fear and living in your fear. Basically that's what I digested from that is live mm-hmm. through that, understand it, what it means, mm-hmm. digest it. And then maybe it's not so much desensitization, it's more about embracing it and understanding Mm -hmm. it. And I love that. And then I also like that you pointed out there's your history and then what you're looking forward to. And the two weren't coming into into vision or scope for you. And so how did you bring that together? And your past and your history is your wisdom. You Mm -hmm. gain things from that. And We can't be successful all the time. Sometimes we have missteps. And for the most part, those missteps are what we learn from. We're not always learning from those successes. We're just like (laughs) celebrating. But those missteps, those are what we learn. And those are what we gain our wisdom from. So it's okay to have. So to bring that past and to bring that future together, to understand with that wisdom is so important, right? Mm-hmm. So I love absolutely, absolutely what you said about that, and I love as well that healing is a process. So mm-hmm. we gain weight. Don't expect it all to come off in a day because it was a process to gain it. It's going to be a process to lose it, and sometimes we forget that because we want things so quickly, and mm-hmm. the expectations aren't in alignment with our thoughts and what our body's saying necessarily. It's get those two in alignment and the process to lose that weight, the process of weight loss will be much easier once your mindset is able to shift. And that's hard because there's a lot of things circulating around you during that, that process. Right. So So true. And I like what you said about, I'm going to start this journey. Whenever my family's ready, they can jump on board. 
So there's all kinds of wisdom in Fresh Start where you brought this all together, which I absolutely am fascinated by. So thank you for sharing that. I love what mm-hmm. you created. Now, my last question, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? That's the movement I have now, which is uh, Smile for Wellness. And so that's another acronym. Okay. So in my case, I am, the fresh start came as a result of something happening to me. It was like, you know, I was ignoring the signs, didn't really know what to look for. Whereas now, my Smile for Wellness movement is to be proactive to begin to be ahead of the curve and know what to look for because we can go all day with life and not recognize some of the pitfalls that are right in front of us. So SMILE is an acronym and it talks about the five areas that people need to be mindful of every day as daily check-ins to check on their own mental wellness. So the first one is sleep. Okay. How many hours of sleep you're getting, right? The next one is your mood. Okay. Are you fussing at people for no reason? Uh, The next one is your inner voice. What are you saying to yourself? What are your thoughts? What is it that's consuming you on a daily basis? The next one is laughter. When was the last time you laughed? You know, there were times when I was depressed, my husband would come in with jokes and I'm like, I'm trying to be serious and you're playing games, right? (laughs) (laughs) Or he would be the fun one and I'm the serious one with the kids. You know, I just couldn't get it because I was so, I didn't have time to laugh. It's like, look, we got to get stuff done, right? Right. There's a time. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And then the last one is energy. So all of these components, if you don't get any sleep, it's going to affect your mood. You're going to have a bad inner voice you're not going to have time for laughing or any energy. So all these things kind of marry off each other, but they give you markers, you know, for you to kind of self-diagnose and make some changes before they get to be a real problem. You know, in my case, I was sleeping like two to three hours a night. This is long-term. We're not talking about a couple days a week. This is like a regular pattern. That's a problem. You know, so if you begin that even recognize that, you know, what kind of mood was I in? So yeah, the other people I'm smiling, but how was I when I greeted my children in the morning? You know, I would be worn out because I didn't get a lot of sleep. So they have been energized. They slept a full night. They come in there, wake me up before my alarm goes off. And it's like, I'm dragging. And that's, you know, the basis for me waking up with a bad mood to them. You know, that's the first person they see in the morning. So is that part of my values, having a bad mood with my kids? No. Uh, Then, you know, not laughing. So, you know, get on Google, look up some cat videos or (laughs) something on Netflix. I mean, really, you know, you got to get to the point where, you know, if you're not a comedian, how can you laugh? Right? (laughs) My husband, he doesn't have any problem in that area. I mean, he can make, you know, anybody laugh. And I'm like, Dude, I mean, we're trying to be serious here, but um, yeah, so I think, but laughter just lightens the mood. It helps you not be so serious and task oriented. You're able to have fun, uh, loosen up, be in the moment. And that is so key. But there were months that that wasn't even on my radar at all, or I would laugh at other people's 
this is another thing. You know, you have such high standards for your kids. So other people's kids will do something and you're like, oh, it's not that serious. You know, kids to be kids, but let your kids do it. It's like, I don't have any kind of laughter about that, right? <laughs> right. And then the energy portion, right? you know, really recognize. And so for me, when I was going through my depression, I would have this mindset, oh, my kids are asleep. This is my time, right? right? So then I'm thinking I could stay up, do something for me read a book or whatever, I'm falling asleep with the book in my lap or falling asleep with my clothes on. None of my tasks even get done for me because I don't have any energy. Right. I've used all my energy all day and I'm giving myself the leftovers. So simply sometimes flipping that uh, script on that and giving yourself your best in the morning will give you the motivation to be the best for other people. Absolutely. So, so smile, mm -hmm. <laughs> smile for wellness. Yeah, smile for wellness. <laughs> exactly. So, yes. if you were to sum your wisdom up in one sentence, what would that be? Or two? Okay, uh, be authentic and follow your own passion and dreams. Don't get caught up in what people think you should be, what they think you should do because there is so much more richness to be you rather than trying to be somebody else. And you just have a better impact. And for me, for years, I struggled with wearing what I call a different mask to a different occasion. I had this one with these standards, that one. And now it's like, there are no masks. What you see is what you get. And that is such a liberating place to be at. So be you no matter what. Well, thank you so much, Lachelle, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for having me. Thank you. If you would like to know more about Lachelle Atkins, please follow Lachelle on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at infocorewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about core women in your social media posts, please hashtag core women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about core women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the core women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.